Welcome to Life Uplifted, a podcast for joy-seeking humans who want to feel more energized and empowered in their lives. In this space, you will receive insights, knowledge, and inspiration to guide you to becoming your healthiest and most uplifted self in body, mind, and soul. I'm your host, Lauren Venasta. I'm also a mother, entrepreneur, clinical nutritionist, chef, writer, and I believe in uplifting others. It's time to reclaim your energy and well-being because you're not here to feel depleted. You're here to live a life uplifted. I've escaped death three times. I met my guardian angel when I was eight years old, and little did I know then that I would see her many more times in my life. God gave me these experiences for a reason, and I think by sharing my stories, you will see just how often our guardian angels are watching out for us. It's incredible and so, so humbling. I hope I don't cry in this episode, but here we go. So I started skiing at a very young age. When I was two years old, I was skiing in between my dad's legs, going down the hill like it was nothing. I was a fearless kid. Double black diamond slopes were a regular thing for me by the time I was eight years old. And if you aren't familiar with skiing or snowboarding, double black diamond slopes are just very, very steep. They're a pretty advanced hill. So we went skiing quite often as a family. And one year we were in Colorado for my older brother's hockey tournament. We were at a place called Keystone Resort, and we headed out for the day to hit the slopes. Now, my parents always had me and my brother wear helmets for safety. We totally hated it and always complained, but looking back now, it's like, wow, I'm really glad we did, and I'm glad my parents were looking out for us like that. When we skied as a family, we went down the slopes one at a time. My dad went first, then it was me or my brother next, and my mom typically last. We were going down a double black diamond run that particular day, and the slope was empty. We were the only ones on the hill. I watched my dad ski halfway down the hill and stopped for me to go next. I started down the hill to meet my dad, traversing down as you do on such a steep hill, but somehow I lost control. I started speeding straight down this double black diamond. I flew past my dad as he was like yelling at me to gain control, but I couldn't. I was going so fast. I was terrified at that moment and I remember it vividly. Next thing I know, I hit a mogul and I went flying. And according to my mom watching from the top of the hill, I flew straight into the air I came down, hit the snow, and my skis and poles went flying as I tumbled down the hill like a ragdoll. As I was tumbling, I was rolling down towards the edge of the hill on the side where it drops off into a bunch of trees. I can't even imagine what my family was thinking as they watched me tumbling down that hill, completely powerless and unable to help. And from my perspective, once I hit the snow and started tumbling, I had no bearing on where I was or what was happening or even what direction I was going. I just remember eventually hitting into something really hard. I saw a set of skis under me, and I looked up to a female, and she was dressed in all-white snow gear. I heard her say, are you okay? Now, I, I was in so much shock at that point, I couldn't even get myself to speak. I remember like being frozen. And the next thing after that I remember are my parents reaching down for me to help me up, and as they looked up to thank the woman, she was gone. We looked down the hill, and there was no one there. The hill was empty before we skied down it, 
and it was now empty again. A woman who wasn't on the hill prior somehow happened to be stopped on that hill at the exact spot I was about to tumble off the side of the hill. I mean, if that isn't proof of guardian angels, I don't know what is. I walked away from that skiing accident with a couple bruises and a sore body. It was honestly a miracle. And thank goodness for my helmet. I'm not sure what would have happened if my parents didn't have us wear helmets. I was eight when this happened, and I couldn't fully grasp the miracle of it. But as I got older, I always thought, wow, that's a cool story. And that was the first time I met my guardian angel. There have been some other times throughout my life where a few close calls happened, a knife that was pulled on my friend and I in San Francisco when we were in high school, a close call in college of being surrounded by three men at night as I was walking to dance practice, as I ran away, a parked cop car deterred them and they turned around, except they didn't know the cop car was empty. And another time I was walking home alone from a friend's dorm one night only to learn the next morning that a girl was raped in that same spot I walked past only 10 minutes later. And this brings me to the next story, my survival of a toxic blood infection when I was 20 years old. This was by far my closest experience with death. It was summer of 2010, and I had just come home from my sophomore year of college. I spent the day swimming out in the sun with my best friend and had a barbecue that night with my parents. I woke up around midnight with terrible diarrhea, I went to sleep and woke up shortly after and started vomiting. It continued through the morning into the afternoon, and we had just assumed it was food poisoning. Later that night, I wasn't getting any better, so my mom took me to urgent care. They took my vitals and my blood pressure. It was very low, and my heart rate was pretty high. I also had a fever. They gave me a bag of fluids through an IV, but it didn't really change my vitals at all. An important sign that I wasn't aware of until later— I was sent home with the diagnosis of the flu, and I was told to rest and hope I get better soon. That night, I felt totally paralyzed in my bed. I remember waking up so thirsty and dehydrated feeling and wanted to call out to my mom to ask for water, but I couldn't speak or move to even get it myself. And that next morning, my mom came to check on me and she said I didn't look right. She knew something was wrong. She decided to take me to my doctor to get checked out further. Now, what happened next was when I knew something was terribly, terribly wrong. I was menstruating at the time, so I had a tampon in, and I rolled out of bed to go to the bathroom to change my tampon before I left for the doctor. I felt so dizzy, and when I tried to change my tampon, I fell over headfirst in the bathroom because my blood pressure was so low. I was so weak, I didn't even put real clothes on or grab my phone. I barely made it down the stairs and my brother offered to help me and I'm so darn stubborn that I said no and that walk to the car felt like a mile. By the time I got to the doctor, I couldn't even stand. My mom got a wheelchair to wheel me into the office and every single bump in that wheelchair hurt my head so bad it felt like it was going to explode. I, don't, I didn't even know what to think at this point. I didn't make it fully even into the doctor's office before he took one look at me and told my mom to take me to the ER immediately. We wheeled back out to the car and I couldn't even see straight at this point. When we got to the ER, they started taking my vitals and based on what they saw, my blood pressure was 74 over 49 and my heart rate was 149 beats per minute. Now, if you know anything about this, that's 
It's not a good sign. (laughs) My organs were slowly dying, and the next few hours were a blur, but it included a very painful central line inserted into my chest, IVs in both arms, a spinal tap, or multiple, I should say, since the doctor couldn't do it right the first time. Those hurt a lot, by the way. A flu test that felt like it was going up to my brain, and nothing was turning up positive. The doctors had no idea what I had, and I was dying in the process. The biggest thing I remember about this experience was my prayer, pleading with God to give me another chance. As my vitals were tanking in the ER and the doctors still hadn't figured out what I had, test after test after test, I was talking to God and asking him, is this it? Was that my life? I had massive feelings of regret and panic that I didn't live up to my potential. I asked God again, please God, give me another chance and I won't waste it. 20 years on earth was not enough. I needed more time. It wasn't but 5 to 10 minutes after that, an infectious disease specialist came in and gave me a potential diagnosis so they could begin proper treatment. That night, I was transferred into the ICU and it was a battle. I was packed with ice bags all over my body to keep my fever down. I was shivering cold but burning hot and it felt like I was dying, honestly. I really don't know how to explain it other than that. And it was one of the longest nights of my life. The next morning, my diagnosis was confirmed, toxic shock syndrome. It's a type of staph infection with a 50% survival rate. If it's caught early enough, it can become fatal in 48 hours. I got to the ER at hour 42. If I had waited or my mom didn't take me when she did, who knows where I'd be or even if I'd be here today. Surviving was just the beginning, and I believe a few specific doctors and nurses in the ER and ICU were guided by my guardian angels that week I was there. My treatments all happened in perfect timing to avoid a fatal ending or even to have a limb removed. It all just happened so perfectly. Without going into all the details, it wrecked me physically for some time, and emotionally still to this day. It's a continual healing process for me. But most of that comes from a difficult part of this experience that came a few years later when I discovered a TSS survivors group, a toxic shock syndrome survivors group. The founder of that group had a daughter. She was only two weeks younger than me, and she died from toxic shock syndrome the day that I was released from the hospital. The same illness, the same time, and different endings. Like I said, it has a 50% survival rate. I was the survivor. She wasn't. And to this day, I often think about her and wonder, why was I the one who survived? But it's not my place to ask God why. And I'm thankful for my outcome. And it gives me a purpose to live as intentional as I can each day. Because I know that life can be gone at any time. Let's fast forward eight years. I was in Las Vegas with some friends celebrating my 28th birthday. We went to the Route 91 Harvest Festival, which was a three-day country music festival at the Las Vegas Strip. If you remember this festival, it was the largest mass shooting in U.S. history. 58 people died and over 700 were injured. Here's my story. It was Sunday night, the last night of the festival. We had been having fun all weekend, and we were standing up near the stage for the final few artists of the weekend. The festival was huge. It was packed with people, and if you were up by the front where the stage was, it was shoulder to shoulder. You were in a sea of people, unable to really get out quickly if you wanted to. 
As we were watching Jake Owen set, a blonde woman wearing a white off-the-shoulder shirt, I remember it so vividly, was walking through the crowd, kind of like shimmying through with a handful of drinks. She was walking in front of some men that were standing in front of me, and she dropped a beer. This beer fell through the man's feet and directly onto my feet. I was wearing my Converse that night instead of my cowgirl boots, which I was wearing the two previous nights, so my feet got completely soaked in beer. I tried not to let it bother me, but a few songs later, I asked my friends if we could venture out to the side of the festival so I could take my shoes off. Walking out of the crowd took some time, but we made it and sat down to relax for a while. I remember looking around at all the people, and a lot of them were pretty intoxicated. Now, this night was the only night my friends and I decided not to have any alcohol, so we were hyper aware of what was happening. As Jason Aldean, the final country artist, took the stage, we stood up and stayed towards the back of the crowd because we weren't up for venturing up to the front again. Also, one of the three people I was with decided she wanted to go back to the hotel because she didn't feel well. So the three of us watched the first couple songs of Jason Aldean and decided we wanted to go get some food and celebrate as I was about to turn 28. We walked out of the festival down a narrow path of vendor booths and out the front entrance. We took a few photos and headed out on the strip. That's when the first shots were fired. Mind you, we decided last minute to get food at a place opposite of where the shots were being fired from. If we didn't change our plan, we would have walked straight into the path of the bullets. Now, if you don't tell me that's divine timing or the protection of God, then I don't know what is. Police cars with their sirens blazing raced down the strip. There were talks of shooters in other hotels. Many hotels were on lockdown and no one really knew what was happening. When we reached our hotel, people came running in, a couple people covered in other people's blood. I'll never forget that elevator ride. And the chaos that happened was so bizarre because it was total, complete chaos, followed by the strip being completely shut down and quiet. I've been to Vegas a lot, and I have never seen it so empty. It was beyond eerie. As I watched the news streaming the coverage of the shooting that night, as I was back in my hotel room, I was in awe. In awe of what was happening, in awe of me and my friends leaving when we did, and once again, in awe of the protection God gave me to escape a deadly situation yet another time. To put this in perspective, one of the areas where the shots were heavily fired at the festival was where we were standing before I got the beer spilled on my shoes. Exactly. And what's even more crazy is that if I had worn my cowgirl boots, I probably wouldn't have wanted to go off to the side. We probably would have stayed right up in the front. And to top it off with even more craziness, one of the victims of the shooting was a girl my same age celebrating her 28th birthday too. She was shot in the head and never got to live her 28th year. I totally lost it when I learned about this victim. Another death of someone just like me, but I was the survivor again. To anyone who experiences survivor's guilt, it's a weird experience. You're thankful for life, but you're also extremely sad. It's like you are the lucky one, but you don't feel like you deserve it. It's so strange, and it also makes me feel like I owe it to the victims to make more of my life. In their honor, it's something I strive to do every day. And to this day, I walk through life knowing I'm protected. It might be a little too careless sometimes about it, but I have a very tangible feeling of peace inside me. 
probably because I'm not afraid of dying. I know that when it's my time, it'll be my time for a reason. My brushes with death also place a feeling inside me that I need to live fully. I need to do as much as I can in this life that I have because I vividly know the feeling of almost losing it. I know what praying that final prayer feels like, begging God to let you live longer, and I got a second chance, and third, and fourth, and so I feel obligated to make the most of my life in whatever way that looks like. It doesn't necessarily mean doing anything crazy, but making an impact beyond myself. And I sometimes think about what the world would be like if I did die during one of those events. What would that look like? It's such a weird feeling and thought to have, but on my hardest days, I know that I'm here for a reason, and God has a purpose for me and for everyone who I come into contact with. And this leads me to say that our impact on someone else can truly be life-changing. So leave a positive impact. Leave a loving impact. Because if we don't, then what's the point? Living this life for ourselves will have you completely empty in your last moments. I can guarantee that. You won't be thinking about your fancy car or your big house or your bank account. You'll be thinking about your relationships, your experiences, your moments that had nothing to do with possessions at all. The love that was in your life and the love you gave. It all comes back to the heart. That's it. Get your heart right. Ask God to show you your purpose so you can start making the most of your life if you aren't already because we never know when our time will come. And until it does, live fully, whatever that means for you. It's your life don't waste it. All right, friend, thank you for listening to this week's episode of Life Uplifted. Hop over to the show notes for products and resources mentioned in this episode. Please leave a review, subscribe to the podcast, and share this episode with anyone in your life who would benefit from this information. If you'd like to connect over on Instagram, you can find me at Total Body Nourishment. Until next time, friend, cheers to living a life uplifted. Uplifted.